Hello and welcome to GoonPod. This week, my guest is the voice actor, comedian and radio restorer, Keith Wickham. Keith and I talked about his long and affectionate relationship with The Goon Show uh, and with radio comedy in general, and about a newly discovered Hancock episode featuring Peter Sellers, who stood in at the last minute for Kenneth Williams. Keith has been making a documentary to accompany the broadcast of this Hancock show on Radio 4, and we talked about that and his many years' work breathing new life into hundreds of old classic radio comedy shows through loving restoration work. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. So Keith, uh, thank you for joining me. Pleasure, of course. Among other things, you're a very, very accomplished and very busy uh, voice artist and, and, and performer. I was just looking at your IMDb page. Mm. Yes. Do you ever <laughs> actually have a holiday? Ha! Yes, I do. <laughs> it's got, it's got uh, it's the work has got thinner um, recently for lots of reasons. But um, Thomas and Friends, for which I did for years, uh, mm. that finished for me. Um, they've changed the format, uh, but I did that for twelve years. I was the fat controller and Gordon and Henry and Edward and all kinds of things for that. That that was a great gig. I'm still in the Octonauts, which is going strong. Um, and uh, other than that, yes, I've just done loads of other cartoons, mostly cartoons. Mm, um, mm. But no, I, I mean, at the moment, it's OK, but nothing like it was in, in the glory days of uh, the, the 90s and the early 2000s when I was working every day, all day. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've got two teenage kids yeah. who, you know, so as, as you can imagine, late Noughts, I was sat often with them in front yes. of CBBS and Thomas particularly, and but also sixty four Zoo Lane. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> oh I loved that show, loved that show. I was Nelson the Elephant, and uh, various others, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, no, I loved that show. Um, I don't know whether you watched Angelina Ballerina, The Secret Show. Do you remember that? Because that was one of my faves. The Secret Show, yes, just about. But yeah. Angelina Ballerina, my daughter, yeah, uh, she she used to have that on DVD copies of uh, episodes of that. Yeah, right. Um, well, there's my credentials. Okay, for doing so, this. <laughs> so, but I mean, we're going to talk about that in more detail in yes. terms of um, how you got into doing that sort of thing. But one of the other sort of strings to your bow is the restoration of old radio. Yes, which is pretty, which is the more the reason I'm here, really, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because, uh, yes, I started out because I used to listen to Radio 4 a lot when I was a kid. And I used to go and see radio shows being recorded a lot at the Paris. Mm. And uh, so I, I went to Berkis Way and just a minute, and I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And the news had lions and stuff a lot. Mm. And I used to sort of dream of being on the stage and doing doing all that stuff. Uh, which is why I do this. It's why I do my job and why I do this audio restoration. And uh, just recently, uh, I managed to meet a producer uh, who was interested in it. And we've got a program going out on Radio 4 on the 13th yeah. about restoring audio and, and, and stuff. Because I have spent an awful lot of time and money on collecting, restoring and disseminating radio old radio um and this started out with the goons great uh which is why you've asked me on this i think yes uh because i got in touch with ted kendall in about the year 2000 i think when he was starting out on his uh, escapades of, of uh, being commissioned to do all that and i'd started to do it as well separately um and um and we sort of in parallel restoring this stuff um, so I helped him, uh, gave him stuff, sent him stuff, and obviously he did the work, and he's got much, much more expensive kit than me um, and was being paid to do it. Mm. Um, but it was we were both doing that. And on, on the, on the, my thing was I did, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, I restored all of those complete. That took 10 years, uh, and uh, that was a great, it was a real journey, that one. Um, I ended up meeting Humphrey Barclay and getting oh, yes. his getting his scripts and his tapes for, through a guy called Ray Frencham. I must give him a credit because he was the one that got me in touch. And um, and I, I that that was an extraordinary uh, thing to do because all of that now is done. Um, and I've done hundreds of other shows before Extra and BBC Seven as it was. Uh, so a, a lot of stuff that they broadcast, I've restored and sent them. So this is my 
other thing, my other sideline. Mm. But the, but these have been mainly sort of labours of love, really. Like yes, said, totally, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and it's only recently it's t- it's become something that I can actually sort of say anything about or talk about, because the documentary and a newly discovered Hancock's Half Hour um, triggered all this, because uh, Richard Harrison, who's a collector, found this Hancock, and it was and it's that that's made the BBC sit up um, and take notice, because obviously that's an event. You know, once in a 20 year event yeah. to find mm-hmm. a missing Hancock's half hour that's worth broadcasting and is in good quality, you know. Um, and it's a good one. It's got Peter Sellers in it. That's it? Yes. <laughs> really? See, I'm not I'm not a huge Hancock fan. So so that's that, that sort of passed me by. What what are the circumstances of the discovery of that then? Uh, was Richard just uh, it's in the documentary this, but he, okay. he had a batch of tapes uh, and one day heard it and realized it was what it was basically because he's a collector and he knows his stuff he just recognized it instantly as a missing show and um and it's it's going to go out on radio four rather than four extra because it's such a big find fantastic yeah oh great and it's uh, the marriage bureau by the way it's called marriage bureau so yeah so the document so if you're listening to this podcast on the day it goes out um Mm. it's which is this going on the 12th of october right it's the 13th the, the day after this, um, yep. your documentary will be on Radio 4. What, what's yes. it called? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Archive. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's been used before, that title, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, yes, and so it's a, it's basically a journey through the, the process of finding, collecting, restoring uh, audio radio shows. And, and you speak to people like Ted, yeah? I've spoken to Ted, I spoke to Mark Ayers who mm-hmm. is a fantastic uh, composer, sound engineer, does all the Doctor Who uh, soundtracks and radiophonic workshop material. Yep. Um, I talked to Roger Bickerton, who is um, the sort of father of radio collectors, started the Vintage Radio Collector Circle many years ago. Steve Arnold, who runs the Radio Circle now. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Richard Harrison, who discovered the Hancock. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, there's, there's clips of programs missing programs and things oh and um <laughs> we we also uh managed to get lauren laverne involved um towards the end uh handing tapes handing desert island discs over to lauren she um she was fantastic uh, um so yes it's, it was a uh, quite an adventure doing that show <laughs> Gateway to the sound. I think you, you told me sort of off mic that you, you first heard um, a Sellers album that a teacher played for you. The, but my, uh, my whole career is based on uh, an assembly at school. Uh, Mr. Humphreys, he was. He played a record. It was Best of Sellers. Yes. Um, with Balham, Gateway to the South on it. Mm. And he played this as an as a example of parody and how um, parody works. And I think the whole assembly was about that. And I, I, the thing was, for some reason, I was, I was, about, I was about 12. Um, I, I couldn't take uh, the thing just clicked with me. It's like some people with music, you know, they yeah. hear a piece of music. And I asked him to borrow this album. You know, it's it a bit cheeky, really, when I look back on it. I never did that. And he let me he lent me his album, which was a, a prized possession of his, an original pressing, you know. And uh, and I taped it and took it back to school and I and I sat and listened to this thing over and over again, and um, like a, the nerd that I was, and I was doing all the voices and I remembered it all, knew it all back to front, mm. uh, and it, it just got me hooked, and uh, and then a f- another friend at school was into the goons and I heard the last goon show of all, okay, and the batter pudding hurler. Because mm-hmm. they came out on record early, yeah, in the seventies, and we're going back now to I must have been this must have been seventy seven ish seventy eight, round about there, mm. and uh, from there on in I just uh, that, that was all I did really, I just, I just collected this stuff and listened to it a lot, and then Radio Four I used to listen to Radio Four because they'd repeat the Goons and Hancock and Round the Horn, and Round the Horn in particular I really enjoyed when I was a kid, yeah. um, because it's broader. It's more accessible, 
than the goons. And um, the goons, what got me into the goons was Sellers. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't the writing initially. It wasn't Milligan initially. It was Sellers, because I couldn't quite believe he did all those voices. I couldn't quite believe it was the same guy, and it, and I, just the astonishing range he had, and how real they all were, and every single thing was right. He did, there was not a note out of place with him, and that was what got me in there. And what I found because I I was obsessed. I had like a white heat of <laughs> yeah fan obsession. When I discovered the goons, I'm a, I think I'm a, maybe eight or nine years younger than mm. you, Keith. But I I discovered them in the late eighties, and you know tape because growing up in New Zealand, they played it every week on mm. the national radio station. So I could very quickly amass a lot of recordings, and mm. and also was buying up the tapes, you know, the commercial releases, and just getting whatever I could. This was even before I joined the GSPS and was able mm. to access the archive. But I was, uh, you know, watching the sellers, getting the sellers films and, and taping them off the telly. But I'd be watching them as a teenager without a very a particularly critical eye, if you like, mm. and, and without without having the the, um, the the language of cinema, if you like, mm. or, or whatever you want to call it pretentiously. Now that I'm revisiting them 30-odd years later, mm. um, and I'm watching sellers on film, I'm realizing now how much of a fantastic actor he was. Yes, he was. Uh, he was an extraordinary actor. I, 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 he's um, one of the best we've ever produced, I think, in terms of comedy character actors. And mm. he had a unique career, I think, because it was only him and Terry Thomas, I think, uh, it, it came out of radio and music hall and went into films and ended up as celebrities in Hollywood. Because that's, that, that's a yeah. really unusual and yeah. weird, weird jump to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sellers was the uh, Terry Thomas did very well, but he didn't ever get to the A list no. t- sort of heights that Sellers did. Um, and Sellers, I, I, I think I'm right, was unique in that. And he could, he was adept at physical comedy and verbal comedy, which is an, is a rare combination. Because uh, some of his Pink Panther routines, you know, some of the physical routines in that are again they're stunning, they're just breathtaking. He's he's he is absolutely brilliant. The, the, the problem I have with Sellers is what the more you find out about him as a person, the less you like him. And you wouldn't want to know the guy. You know, you wouldn't have want to have been around him. Mm. Um, but his his performances were universal. They were I, he, he made some very bad films, but he was never really bad in them. That's right. That's um, right. I, I, he couldn't help but be funny. There was this he had a thing. And, I, and it's and the problem is because it, it was because he was a bit troubled that his performances were so good and i think he he raises an awful lot of questions about celebrity how much do we demand of people who entertain us you know because really he 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 needed help (laughs) you know yes he did he 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 needed he needed psychiatric help but he never got it so he was a, a he was not very nice to people around him and uh he accepted that and he knew that but would his performances have deteriorated if it had been treated is the question and do we demand too much of these people that we want them to be entertaining for us but in the meantime their personal lives are a car crash it's it's a very i've always found him fascinating on that level and the business is full of them i mean hancock was another one yes deeply troubled and self-destructive um but brilliant Absolutely, uh, and and Sellers, even if it's a cameo role in a film like yeah. uh, the the wrong box, he turns oh, up he's, for what it, he's got about seven minutes of total. Yeah, on the screen. It, it's it's a masterclass. It's yeah. a, it's, a, it's a masterpiece of of, of acting, and um, it, it's beautiful. It's just, he's just it's hilarious, and no matter how many times you watch it, it's hilarious. It's yeah. the best bit of the film, actually. To be honest, yeah, it is. It is. Um, um, Hancock Hancock's in that as well, but he's yes. slightly Brahms and List, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> that was his big thing was drink. Sellers never had that. He was lucky. Nah, he, he wasn't an alcoholic. Yeah, he didn't do drugs. He, you know, he was um, in 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 every other respect stable. But uh, he's just he was his psychology was just peculiar and mm. difficult. Mm. Um, but uh, no, I, I, the, the Hancock trajectory is 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 a horrible one to watch. Sellers at least. His second from last film was brilliant. You know, at least right at the end, he pulled out being there. Yeah. Which is great on any level, his performance in that. But then he did Fu Manchu, um, which was terrible. 
that's an awful film. Um, and I have to say, on a little personal note, one of my colleagues that I worked with for years called Bob Saker, who's a singer and an impressionist, he dubbed Seller's Last Ever Appearance on a film. Fu Manchu was doing an Elvis yes, impression. Yes, I remember. Yes. And it's, and it's Bob Saker. It's not Seller's. <laughs> uh, because Seller's either couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. Not really mm. sure, but he was very ill at that point. And it may well have been he wasn't very good. And, and when, when I was talking to Dirk Maggs yes. uh, a couple of months ago, he mentioned you by name. Mm. And, and, I heard and, that. Um, said that you, you're, you, you are a um, fantastic uh, impressionist in terms of Peter Sellers. You, you can do well, Peter I did, Sellers. I, I, this is what I, I started out doing. It's sitting in my bedroom. You know, Minge, Waddington Minge and all of that stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that sketch, I've got to say, if, my, if I had a Desert Island Discs, that would be the top of the list, would be that sketch, that particular sketch. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. Mm. It's, it's brilliant. It, it's years ahead of its time. It's fantastically made. George Martin did it, produced yes. it. And, um, and it's, when you think it was done on a two-track machine and Sellers had to do three parts, they, you hear it, and, and, and you could play it on this podcast as an example, mm -hmm. but there's, um, the, the microphone is set in the stalls of an auditorium and you hear the actor coming on in the distance. Begin as soon as you like, please, would you? Uh, Would you start as soon as you can, please? We're in a hurry. We have a lot of people to see. Right. I, I prepared... Uh, can you hear me? Yes. I prepared a short... Uh, a short extract from the uh, Richard III uh, soliloquy, which I, I do for you, um, because if you don't mind, I won't read the script. My eyesight is not all as good as it is, and I like time to pour over it. But however I do this, my memory isn't also what it was However, I do remember some of it and, uh, be as quick as you can would you please and you hear them two of them the, the producer I guess and the casting director or whoever sitting talking in the auditorium as this guy mm -hmm. is, is this old actor clearly on his last legs and clearly desperate for work in the background I'll read my memory isn't quite what it was all of that <laughs> stuff and it's that it's when they're going uh, where do they find them? It's that thing of the close mic. You know that he can't hear. And as he's acting, they're talking about picking up some girl. Oh, you've forgotten it all now. Hello. Um, oh, Pinky? No, he's not here. Who is it? Oh, hello, darling. How are you? Yeah, we're just watching some auditions. Oh, some old idiot. Yes, he's sitting right next to me. And it's so realistic, and it's so... It's so beautifully done. And then when he goes, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. And then he goes, Oh, he's dried. You know, it's that... <laughs> I love all that. It was so deft and so well acted. And beautifully recorded you know it, you, that one caught me even as a kid I remember hearing that yes and, and thinking this is just it's so good it was it wasn't broad comedy there was no punchline uh, you know he just walks off um, an example where that doesn't work you know the the sellers talking to himself if you like mm. I felt was the the sketch with the television interviewer who's interviewing I think it's an MP or meant to be an MP and he's just mm. he's not letting him get a word in Edgeways, and it sound it just doesn't sound natural. Feel that. Oh the, no, I know the one you mean. The one where he's implying that he's gay, homosexual. Yes. 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 Mm. No, that I know. I know exactly which one you mean. Yes, that didn't quite work, did it? No. For some reason. Yes, but, uh, but that was even that wasn't bad. You know, they, they, none of them were appalling. No. It's just that it just slightly didn't work, did it? Am I not right in thinking that you are, in fact, a I homo... I beg your pardon. I'm afraid I, I'm not... And is it not also true that you are a lifelong member of the Communist no, Party? I want to say right here One moment, now. Mr. Harris. You've not... Ah. You, I'm, the, I'm, one moment now. No, You've not no, yet I'm, answered I'm my not, previous question. I'm trying to. Are you or are you not a practice? I'm sorry, my dear fellow. I must tell you right away that you know. I'm not prepared no, no, to stand no, no, here. I remember seeing the harp coming up for sale. You know, I'll never get to heaven now. That one. Yes, yes. That came up for sale. The harp that was used in that sketch <laughs> okay. was on eBay. 
Right. <laughs> As thrown on the floor by George Martin or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you whether I'm playing a bum note or not. That's or fantastic. That, that sketch is wonderful. Uh, yes, I used to do, I used to sit and listen to him and sort of in awe, really. And I, I remember there was a, there's a set of acetates that he did when he was rehearsing at home in the 40s. Have you heard that? Those? Um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. He, he I know had, he had he, a recorder, that, a, a disc cutter from yes, Bob Yes, he had Monkhouse. a disc cutter. That's the one. And there's mm. a Bob Monkhouse sketch on there. They do, they do a sketch about him and a, a, a used car salesman um, with Bob Monkhouse. And he does an impression of Bob Monkhouse at the end, which is stunning. It's, a, it's like, you know, you just think, how does he do this? And he had a whole sketch. He did it, Ma. And he did a few other bits and pieces. And there was one where he was practicing and practicing a voice. And the first thing he ever did in the film was of dubbing a Alfonso Bedoya, you know, who was a, who was a, mm, a, mm. a Mexican actor. Yeah. Yes. The guy was, um, it, it couldn't hear, you couldn't tell what he was saying. So they got Sellers in to dub him. And he practiced, he sit there and practice this all day. And it, over and over and over again, he does this Alfonso Bedoya voice. And it turns up in Foiled by President Fred. I've always wondered where he got that voice from. Ali Carly Swans have run away. That one, right? Yeah, yeah. And I always wondered where he got that from. And that was what it was. It was Alfonso <laughs> Bedoya. He was like that. And he was all, you know. Yes. And it's just nothing like you've ever heard anything ever. There is nothing of value. Cut off their hair to make a pillow for my feet. I will have something for my trouble. I have already made such a search. There was only this of value. I kept it for just such a moment. So the cowardly swans have run away. They're frightened of Ilhenerel Aston Villa. His voice, his normal speaking voice, which I'm yeah. sure he wasn't born with. Or no, he, was, he wasn't. didn't grow up with. Yes. Um, but that, that, that particular voice that he, that, yes, yes, that yes. swan he, he, um, voice. Well, he put on this um, sort of, yes, he spoke like this, didn't he? Had a sort of, um, mm -hmm. what, and Clive James termed it a newly minted upper class accent. <laughs> yeah. Um, because he didn't want to appear uneducated. I think he had an eternal fear of being found out. Yes. Um, and he used to put himself on the same level as Alec Guinness and all those people because he wanted to think of himself and other people to think of him as a classical actor, which he wasn't. But he, in many ways, he was just as good. I think in, in, you know, without, he didn't have the discipline to do theatre and he didn't have the, you know, the wherewithal to keep his own career on track. But he was as good as those actors i think in terms of talent oh yeah um uh and i i loved his um his, his guinness you know his, um impression was mm. uh which he did uh, on parkinson that gr great story he told on parkinson yes. about Alec guinness gentlemen we're all professionals all of that. <laughs> two plates of con uh, condemned veal condemned veal yes <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned right at the beginning that you you went to watch things being recorded, such as um, well, obviously not the goons, but um, or Hancock, but just a minute. Oh so yes, and that was great. Oh, I loved it. Just a minute was fabulous. I went to see it when um, Kenneth Williams was still in it, and uh, Clement Freud and Derek Nimmo and that lot mm -hmm. in the late seventies. And Williams didn't stop moving. One of the things that w struck me was first how small he was, and secondly, he never stopped moving. He was, or even on radio, the reason the audience is laughing all the time is because he's he's sprawling around like a spider. Yeah. Uh, and his legs are everywhere, under the desk and outside the desk, and he was outraged at everything, and he'd make faces at the audience. You know, and so be halfway through, you could be doing a monologue or something, if it's like this, you know, and somebody would <laughs> somebody would press a button, oh, how dare, you know, and he'd, and he'd mouth at the audience. And it would get a huge laugh. I mean, much more than it would have done if it had just gone, uh, you know, whatever. But it was that thing. He, he never stopped, you see. He just sort of went on and on and on, you know. And he would look at the audience. Oh, how dare you? You know, all this stuff. And I used to love all that. And his mum used to get up. Uh, she went to see him. Yeah, Lou. And so Lou mm. used to get up on stage with him afterwards. Oh, right. Um, I, I, I've listened to most of the yeah. existing recordings from 67 yes. onwards. Yes. And I went through a period 10 years ago of listening to the classic period. Mm. So you, Jones, Williams, Nimmo, yes. and Freud. And 
it's only when you listen to them all sort of binge listen if mm. you like, that you realize that he's got he's got his little catchphrase he says the same yeah. things yeah um, I'm, I'm the biggest cult everyone's called oh me yes cult. i'm a cult um, yes that's right yeah i came all, yeah. came here all the way from great yeah portland street. i came here all the way from great portland street how dare you <laughs> yes. but the best one oh, yeah. yeah the best one which he only used to trot out once or twice you know special occasions um he'd mention he'd drop into conversation um, Morty Fittleworth, fun with a Frankfurter. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I had this perverse idea that it would be more exciting to be. Kenneth, um, <laughs> 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 he hesitated, didn't you? Yes, he was hesitated. so excited he couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> Kenneth, you have a correct challenge. Another point and twenty-four seconds on stowaways starting now. The most famous stowaway of all time was Maudie Fittleworth Fun with a Frankfurter. She got <laughs> on board the ship dressed as a sailor, and nobody dreamed that underneath that apparently rough visage was the tender fair. <laughs> in form of nubile... Uh, Tim has challenged you. <laughs> Tim. Leaving aside the fact that I've never heard of this character, she surely... She comes up regularly in just a minute, oh, I really? can tell you, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. And he's going... <laughs> oh, yes, and I, that was the other voice I used to love doing when I was a kid. Oh, it's Grant Puttock, you know, yes. J.P. Smold, Grant Puttock, and all of those, yes. Because it's a thing with the, yes, with the lisp and all of that. Grant Patrick of Peas Mould here. Peas Mould, yes. Yes, yes. And I was in Around the Horn Revisited. That was another thing I did. That was, that was, they, they broadcast that on BBC Four, didn't they? Yeah, the um, original production of it, yes. And uh, and then Robin Sebastian, who was Williams in it, got me in, uh, he got me an audition for the show. Okay. And uh, I ended up doing Williams and Paddock um, at various points. And um, it was so much fun because I knew the sketches. It was like I'd grown up with these things. Yes. So I, I just, it was a joy to do. And so I, I, I you know, I ended up doing these, uh, you know, the, the, the Charles and Fiona, you know, the... Um, yep. Yes. Yep. You, you, and I knew you knew, and all of those. And, uh, <laughs> and, and also Julian and Sandy, you see, which I just, I oh God, it was so much fun. And um, it just to have that, the, the opportunity to actually do those sketches in front of an audience properly was just brilliant, you know. And uh, that was God. That was a long time ago now, yeah. two thousand four, I think. Yeah. But, when you were watching Just a Minute being recorded, yeah. Because you get the impression, yeah. Obviously, Kenneth Williams is is a one off. Yeah. But you get the impression listening to it that that there's some genuine animosity, or at least. You get the impression that Nimmo really doesn't like Nicholas Glasses. <laughs> there was, I think, probably a bit of truth in that. Yes, I think so. I think so. I met Nimmo once in Edinburgh. Uh, I was with a, another comedian, and we sat. We were sat at a table in a restaurant, the only one available, and Derek Nimmo was sitting there on his own. And uh, and the, the, the staff were being really obsequious, and because um, they because he was still quite famous, and and. And I, I knew who he was, but the guy I was with didn't. They had no idea who this guy was. And about 10 minutes into the conversation, this bloke said, he said, excuse me, he said to Derek Nimmo, he said, why are the staff treating you like a king? You know, why are they bowing and scraping? And he said, oh, I have no idea, no idea. And um, <laughs> and he got on with him really well because um, uh, he'd, he wasn't being uh, scrapey and bumbling. Yeah. Like yeah. the others, and I didn't really know how to deal with Nimmo either, because he'd been a sort of a hero, you know. It's I'd sort of grown up with his voice on the radio mm. and in films and things. And there was a show up at the time about Kenneth Williams, and I was talking to him about this because he was up doing Just a Minute. Uh, and this other guy was Australian, and and so Nimmo and he got on because he was talking about his tours he used to do. But what was extraordinary was sitting opposite this man, who I'd heard so often, and it, he didn't put this voice on. That was the thing. Th- okay. That's how he spoke. Okay. You know. So this, yeah. yes, this was all like you know, like this all the time. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I was astounded. I actually did speak like this, you know. And uh, you got how do you get through the day? <laughs> it must take you five times longer than everyone else. Yeah. Because he was from. Where was he? Was he from somewhere like um, Heighton in Liverpool? Or I think like so. That? I yeah. think so. Yes. Uh, a lot of them have uh, put on 
you know, because they went came up through rep. Yes. Uh, and they had their accents taken away from them. Uh, very, very briefly as well, because um, I, I can't let this go. Um, Clue, watching Clue. Yeah. Um, oh, that was early on. That mm. was in the 80s, early mm. 80s. Um, and I was there. I can remember being there. And I've looked this up because I've got all the recordings. I've got yeah, the yeah, whole lot. Yeah. It's the first time Mornington Crescent was I oh, was on. And okay. um, uh, I think it was the first one or near enough the first. It was right at the beginning anyway, when nobody knew what the hell it was and, you know, and how it worked. So we'll uphold that challenge and we'll go on to the next game, which is the old favourite, and a lot of people I know like to join in with this one at home, Mornington Crescent. No special uh, rules come into play in this particular round. So we'll start now uh, with you, Timbrook Taylor. Oh, uh, Neesden High Street. Goonie Street. Uh, Cromwell Road. Oh. <laughs> Dollis Hill. Strand. Mornington Crescent. Ah, yes. yes. Oh. Wine. <laughs> Actually, is that right? Yes. Barry, yes, Barry definitely wins that game. <laughs> the audience. Yes, come on. Well deserved. Well deserved. The audience recognising brilliant play when they see it <laughs> bursts into spontaneous applause. And watching Woody Rushton was a joy. Because he was the complete opposite of Williams. Russian didn't move. He just sat there with his hands across his belly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and just talked. And he really, like Peter Cook, just sat there. Uh, and there was almost no motion at all from him. He just sat there and did what he did. And so just said what he said. And uh, it, he had a... I, I, I loved him. I, he, was, he was really funny. The thing about Clue that... Well, actually, the thing about the goodies as well is how pe how people underestimate graham garden's ability as a uh, graham garden uh, is is an unsung genius he yes. um uh, he he's very quiet about it he did he did what he did he's, he's never stopped working and um his uh scripts and his script editing skills are huge mm. he's brilliant and he's just quietly very very good he just his everything comes out of his mouth is good everything he's funny he's just a funny man and, uh, you know, you can't get away from that. And when, years and years ago, when I discovered that Bill Oddie wrote most of the goodies, you know, along with Graham Garden, because the weird thing is everyone I've spoken to says this, Bill Oddie always was the third goodie to us. When we watched it on telly, he was always the one that you sort of, because he didn't, I didn't, there was something about him. He, he, I didn't want to be there or whatever. But he wrote it. You know, he wrote most of it and he wrote the songs. Mm -hmm. You know, extraordinary. Well, see, I, I, again, I know that the goodies wasn't really repeated in this country. Mm. Um, certainly the BBC goodies wasn't. Mm. I don't know about the, the ITV series, mm. but me growing up again in New Zealand in the 80s, it was repeated all the time. Mm. And so um, yeah. I, I loved it. And when I was, you know, when you're a kid, at least b b with me and my peers at the mm. time, Bill was the fun one. Bill was yeah. the one that we, because right. he was rebellious and he was, right, right, right. he was a bit cheeky. Yes. But now you grow up and you watch yeah. the movies again and you think, well, Graham and Tim. It's all about Graham and Tim. Yes, exactly the point. Yes, um, yeah. they 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 did most of it, but he wrote most of it. Mm. Well, when you find that out, it's, it's it's breathtaking. I'm listening to. I'm sorry, I read that again as well. He did all these songs. Yes. Two, two songs a week. You know, these they were very good parodies and pastiches, and uh, every every week a different arrangement and a different song. It, it, he was really very good at it, and I do remember him being interviewed. That he's a bit annoyed he didn't end up as Randy Newman. You know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He he <laughs> really? really he re yes he really wanted to be a, a comedy songwriter, and uh, that was that was his kind of ambition, I think. Um, so, and I believe that you. So obviously, you decided that. Well, you got in, when you were at school, you 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 were getting into radio comedy in a huge way, yes. uh, spurred on by listening to Sellers, and you decided that you wanted to become, or you wanted to go to drama school and not yeah. become a surgeon. Yeah, I, I yeah, <laughs> surgeon was my first thing, <laughs> and you'll notice I wanted mm. to be a surgeon, you know, the guy who does the big stuff, the yes. star, you know, the the man who stands there and tells everyone else what to do, and does the operations. 
And um, uh, so, yes, I did. That was my initial thing. But I, I gave that up almost the instant I found out I could go on stage and do what I did. And because uh, seven years medical training didn't appeal to me at mm. all. And mm-hmm. so I ended up going to drama school. Yeah. And I did lots of comedy and stand up and stuff and yeah. ended up becoming a, a voice artist. And it, and it was around turn of the century that you began um, restoring these goon yep. shows. Yeah. So, so tell me about the, how that came about in the process. Well, involved. I just I, the thing was, because my job is uh, relatively well paid, but also gives me a lot of spare time. Mm. I, I mean, and I was, I was always interested in audio and always interested in the tech. Um, I just bought the kit. I started to buy computers and I started to buy the, the stuff and sit there recording it, editing it, restoring it. And I started to learn how to do this in about the year 2000. And gradually, as I've gone along, obviously improved what I've got and improved the kit that I've got and improved the, you know, what I can do. And I bought um, a lot of tape decks, Studas and TX and, you know, all kinds of machines that I could just run tapes off on um, and do professional stuff, you know, proper. Uh, and the digital audio converters that I, I bought were hugely expensive. Um, otherwise, there's no point. You know, you've got to do it properly. Um, and the software as well. You keep buying new software and you keep improving it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I... Start and I did a lot of it. I mean, a lot, and uh, tape after tape after tape and records and stuff, and it became a bit of a thing. It became an obsession, really, a sideline thing. And uh, I didn't ever take anything away from Ted because Ted was doing it properly as a job, but certainly did enough to be able to be on the same sort of level. Yep, but not in terms of the kit and I don't or I all I've done is radio comedy programs so I've just done the, those he has done tons of other stuff so he does records he restored a lot of Bing Crosby material a lot of jazz material a lot of music and he he, he does a lot more high-end stuff than I do so he does his old acetates and 78s and whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. which are far far harder and and require much much more complicated equipment when you're dealing with spoken word and you're dealing with quarter-inch tape and records, it isn't quite as complicated. And a lot of the tapes are in good nick anyway. So all you're doing is putting the bits back. You know, you're, ju- you're just basically... Yeah so, yeah, so where were you amassing all this material from? Collectors. Okay. You know, I mean, just, you know, it'd come in the door. Once you said that you're doing it, people just send stuff in. Yeah. And so I just get crates of this stuff and, and just run it off and run it off and run it off. And I've run off huge collections of stuff, huge collections and hundreds of tapes. And in there are going to be missing shows, you know, and missing bits of shows. Because a lot of the work that Ted did uh, was putting the bits back in the transcription service versions that transcription service had taken out. Mm-hmm. And you get them from off air copies. Mm. And, um, and if you're lucky, you get good FM copies, but generally they're not. And you can hear you can hear it can't you when you listen yeah, to them yeah. you can hear the master yeah. tape dropping down to this you know yes um but that it, it at least we've done it you know at least it's done you know we, when i was a kid growing up i would i dreamed of having the box sets of the goons that we've got now you know where every single one's oh, been yeah. restored yeah and you can, any show that you want is there to listen to and we've even got i think it's something like 18 of the fourth series now um, I must just while we're on this, um, some of those shows were found by Steve Arnold, uh, and I remember he it was on a Doctor Who site. He he saw somebody saying they had these discs, it was a pile of acetate discs that his father had left him or given him, and it, his father was a member of a jazz club, and in the fifties, and uh, he recorded not only jazz but he recorded off-air radio stuff. And he had a lagoon shows. And this was, again, this is going back. But we went up, myself and Steve went up to this guy's house in the Midlands and we took these discs away and went through them. There were four goon shows, four missing fourth series goon shows. And um, <clears throat> and that's, that was a real find. And they weren't that bad, the discs. They were okay. And they were obviously FM tape that had been transferred onto 
discs. And um, and the other thing was Forog was in there. There was a fifth series show, which um, uh, we only had the TS version of transcription service. So that added to that. And I gave these discs to Ted. We went to he he came down to London and we met him at a record fair and gave him these discs and they ended up on the compendium. Um, but it's that it, over the years, this this happens infrequently but when it does happen it's it's fantastic you know that you you find this stuff it's it is like opening that cupboard at treasure trove and there there's these missing shows that's amazing as well yes yeah because i i stopped collecting i sort of moved i I reached the age of the full estate of man at whatever Mm. age it would have been 20 21 and kind of moved away so for the best part of 25 30 years I, i i kind of Things, things sort of passed me by in terms of what was going on in the goon world. Hmm. And then when I got um, all the compendiums hmm. uh, about two years ago, something yes. like that. Yes, And just things like um, all these Series 4 shows that up till that point I thought... Yeah, they're completely lost. missing, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Eccles, the committee have now inspected your passport photograph. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a nice likeness, ain't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a oh, grateful, yeah. Well, it was taken without a camera, you know. Mm. <laughs> but it's all blurred, you see. It's all blurred. You must have moved. No, I didn't. I'm still living in the same place. <laughs> uh, have these men been medically examined? Oh, yes, Senator. Here you are. Eccles, medical report. Jasper Bass, medical report. And Henry Cron, findings at post-mortem. Cron huh? <laughs> is dead? Oosh. Quiet. He might hear you. You mean he doesn't know? Well, we never had the nerve to tell him. <laughs> and if he suddenly heard he was dead, well, you know. What? The shock might kill him. Funny enough, listening to the restored shows, um, there's one show in particular that I had always felt, I knew it was edited when I, hmm. you know, the, the, the version I'd heard was the 27-minute hmm. version, but I'd always felt it was really clunkily edited, and it's hmm. a show that we've covered on this podcast previously called The String Robberies. Yes. Okay, and to my ear, there's a, there's a good two or three really clunky edit points mm. in mm. that show. And when I listened to the compendium version, I was thinking, oh, great. Yeah. I'm going to hear all the bits that <laughs> yeah. had, been, had been dropped out yeah. or cut out. Yeah. But you find to your dismay that no, no. They, that's how it went out broadcast. They've gone. Yes, they've yeah. gone. Um, every now and then, Ted would come across a master tape, he, uh, which had everything on it because mm. uh transcription service often had their own copy of the master which had everything and if you were lucky the edits would be kept at the end which a lot of them were that's how i did a lot of the i'm sorry read that agains so you put the bits the bits back the other thing was that um every now and then um you would get somebody's tape they took home you know so a producer or an engineer would take them home. Bernie Andrews was a big one um, for this. He supplied most of the Beatles and the BBC tapes. Okay. Um, okay. And he was an engineer on the Goons from the eighth series. And he used to take a lot of stuff home with him. And he had a lot of Goon stuff. And it and I tracked him down. And after, after about 10 years or so, eventually it, it, the eighth series Goon show set was coming out. And eventually... We got the tapes and uh, and they they came out on that show. And there was a lot of extra material on those mm. because he'd kept the whole thing. And he'd also kept a press call and rehearsals mm. and stuff, which weren't available anywhere else. <laughs> I say, we're really behind time. I told them a fib. And I must say, I did enjoy it. We weren't really behind time. Oh, we weren't. You better write it in. I say, we weren't really behind time. You better write it in. I say, we weren't really behind time. I told them a fib. And I must say, I did enjoy it. Um, And that kind of thing is gold dust to people like me. It's like, you know, you you just want to hear all, all of this stuff as much as you possibly can. And... It gives you an idea of what the show would have been like to listen to when it was recorded rather than edited. Yeah, as you know, I was in contact with Ted and he, yeah. he'd he mentioned to me, I think it was Call of the West. Yes, that was one of those. Yeah. yeah, Com- Complete. 
Yes, yeah. And uh, The Affair of the Lone Banana was another one. Oh, okay. okay. And I also, uh, Gary Kreiter, give him a credit, uh, who yeah. worked for a transcription service back in the day, um, he gave me all his tapes to run off. He had an attic full of uh, 10-inch reels. Mm-hmm. And um, gradually I got them because he was clearing his place out and he's moved now to Africa. But one of the last tapes he gave me was this unassuming grey box with nothing written on it. And it turned out to be an unedited copy of the Batter Pudding Hurler. Um, it was a, a down-the-line copy. Right, yep. And it had three and a half minutes more in it than okay. the one that goes out, the one that everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole routine at the end. There's a mic fault so that you can't hear Max Geldray, which is probably you know, not a bad thing. But he... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, he's, his mic isn't working, and the same mic was used for a phone call with Henry Crun. You can't hear him, and uh, so there's it's and there's fluffs and you know all kinds of stuff, and that's a real find. That's a proper find. Absolutely, that, yeah. Just just on that, you, just, yeah. you mentioned Max. Um, I I did a show again a couple of weeks months ago mm. about Wally Stark, Angela Morley. Oh yes, and. Just as part of research, I was listening to an interview um, that had been privately taped. It was like mm. a post-convention or a, right. some sort of convention, and Angela Morley was speaking, to, taking a, taking questions, yes. if you like. And one of the things, and, and the old memory was playing up. It was yeah. the late 90s, you know. But one yes. of the things she said was that there was a goon show where Max was, wasn't there. He was in Manchester. Okay. And he, he had to perform down the line. Oh. Now, if you ever... I'm asking you because, you know, you, you're so immersed in, in, the, in, the, in these yeah. goon shows and many of my guests are not as immersed, if you like. Have you Were you aware of that? Or is that something that's been... I wasn't aware of that, no. No. Uh, it's, it's, I, I can't think why that would have been made up. No, I can't. But, um, but I really doubt... That he did it live, down mm. the line. Mm. I would really doubt that. Um, I would have thought it would have been a down the line recording, possibly, and, and I mean, then a pl- the, and then a playback. In the, and in the, the thing the, is that um, they've had the odd goon show where one or other haven't been available, yes. and they've just not had them. So yes, yeah. But um, Geldre, I, 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 it's quite plausible that he wasn't there. But I, I, I can't imagine them doing it live down the line from another studio. Nevertheless, maybe he did. Mm. I don't know, but I've never. It wasn't in any of the scripts. No, that he wasn't there. Uh, what other things did you work on? Uh, well, for four extra, um, I went through a period when they were sending me tape after tape after tape, and they they would have the transcription service people at Perryvale run off the master tapes, and they would have all the edits on the end that had been taken out, and they would send these files to me, and I'd put them all back again. And because I had off-air copies of everything, um, I could use the off-air copies as templates. So you just run one after yep. the uh, under the other, and mm-hmm. you can put them back. And if there's a bit missing, because there weren't all the edits weren't there, you could put the off-air bit in, you know, to yep. replace it. So I restored all of the um, brothers-in-law series. Um, oh, okay. Marriage lines. Yes. Uh, yep. All the Doctor series, Doctor in the House, Doctor at Large. Right. Doctor mm-hmm. at Sea. Did all them. Uh, and I'm sorry I'll read that again. They broadcast my restorations up to Series 5 and then stopped because they didn't have the time or the manpower to sit and listen to them. Because the problem with restoring them is you're putting stuff back which Ofcom don't like. Oh, okay. Mm. So you're putting back quite, in some cases, quite horrible jokes. Uh, and the BBC uh, is tied by Ofcom into, you know, you can't broadcast certain things. And uh, I know people get annoyed about this, but um, my feeling is if you're broadcasting something, it's the face of the BBC now. And if something's recorded well enough, it sounds like it was recorded yesterday. And you and if you start broadcasting some of the jokes that are in those shows, it, it then backfires because people will listen to it and go, that how dare they? Uh, you know, and I know that four extra, and I know that people that work there would like to broadcast everything because they're all you know as mad about this stuff as we are. But you can't, you know. But if the shows are there, if you want the full shows, they exist. Yep. 
and in particular the goons has been restored they've all been restored you know and i've done all the others and it's like well fine you can listen to them if you want but i i i I don't like getting to arguments about this stuff but i do feel the bbc is a bit tied on this one and it's not really their fault you know because i'm sure they would do it if they could but um ofcom are very strict about this stuff and i don't i don't object to this because you can't keep broadcasting homophobic stuff and you know some of the jokes in the goodies are quite breathtaking you know and network have released the goodies entire you know uncut um so you can buy the dvds but some of the jokes are just astonishing uh, uh, you know yeah i noticed because we've got brick box <clears throat> yeah and i noticed that so occasionally i'll be cooking in the kitchen or mm. put, put, put the goodies on you know i noticed there's a few shows um, notably alternative roots isn't mm. <laughs> isn't yes. streaming yes yeah, uh, the, the, the BBC. The BBC. The problem is, you, you go on. I mean, I try to avoid them, but you know, you can't help it. Sometimes you go on forums or social media in general, mm. and you have tends to be. And I'm going to probably lose a couple of listeners here, but mm-hmm. it tends to be gentlemen of a certain age mm. railing and saying we're going to hell in a handcart. Mm. And, and basically, the BBC is on a hiding. Nothing it yes. can't win, can it? You're, you're, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Because on the one hand, if you if you allow this stuff to go out, I, you see, I it's a different thing from broadcasting stuff that's made yesterday, from broadcasting stuff that was made sixty years ago. Mm. Um, because the stuff that was made sixty years ago was under a different umbrella completely, and uh, anything that was broadcast in the UK back then stayed in the UK. But I got to, I keep pointing out to people that transcription service who sent this stuff abroad made cuts. Yeah. So they were doing it back then, and it wasn't. It wasn't called woke then. It was simply if you're selling shows to Africa, you don't put certain jokes in a show and then sell them on. You know, there are certain things you don't say. And they used to cut out damn and God and sort of things like that, which are harmless expletives to us. But they would cut them out. Yeah. Uh, because they knew that the religious community in, in whatever country they were sending it to would be really offended by it. So they were doing it then, back in the 60s. Um, and they did a lot of it, you know, they'd cut out a lot of jokes and some of the goon show jokes as well about Ray Ellington, you know, yeah, they made fun of him. And although it was all in good humor and I know that I don't think there's any racism in it. It was just, it was racist inherently, but mm. I don't think it was malicious, but you, you can't keep maintaining this. I, I, I just feel you know, you've got to be careful, but yes. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I also I don't like getting to these arguments because it tends to go around in circles. Yeah, yeah. The 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 kind of mindset of our, not our maybe our parents' generation or their parents' generations or the generations before ours, mm. if you like, who were listening to the radio and going to the cinema in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, even, where everything was disposable in the sense that they they gave no thought to seeing it or hearing it again no who wouldn't even think about it being preserved for you know to be listened to or watched again in the future so much well, chucked we um, cover this we cover this in the documentary because we were very we had to be very careful about again the bbc is going to be damned if it doesn't damned if it doesn't because the bbc has always been uh, basically its charter is to provide entertainment and programs and news and whatever constantly Right, so it's a stream of stuff, and it always has been. What they kept, couldn't they couldn't keep all of it, because it would take a building the size of England to do it. You know, you couldn't keep yeah, all yeah. those tapes. You couldn't keep all those records. You just couldn't do it. So they had to select what they kept, and then reuse the tape. So it was always the case that they were never keep it. They weren't keeping stuff. And most of it, you know, ninety percent of their output disappeared. Yeah, because you couldn't keep it. Um, and it wasn't until digital that you could. And I, th- I think there was a decision in 88, around about there, to keep everything because you could put it on a DAT or you could put it on a hard drive. And it was much easier to keep then. Um, but, pr- you know. But it's the whole notion of people like um, Bernie, who you mentioned before, yes. that having the foresight and the inclination even to keep. Yes, he, um, he realized very quickly that so much was being ditched. And that he was able to take home seven-inch reels in his overcoat you know, yeah. uh, without anyone noticing. 
and he had a house full of them. He had a house full of them, and they were mostly music because he worked on Saturday Club. It was his show, um, and uh, a few others, Top Gear, uh, okay. not the, not the uh, motor no, no, no. show, the the music show, and yeah. so he recorded hundreds of bands, including the Beatles, but lots and lots of others, and he kept these seven-inch reels, of of effectively master tape quality. Uh, of these bands and without people like that these things would have gone um john walters and, and john peel used to tell stories about that you know <laughs> you know they used to go in the office and say you got any spare tape going about you know and they'd, they'd give them the a, a session that they'd recorded of someone else to tape over for the next oh, week jeez, yeah. you know yeah because they just didn't the, the bbc because it's license funded has to justify everything it spends mm. In, mm. you know and you can't therefore justify keeping all that tape because it, it it was a lot of stuff went missing because there was no need for it anymore even the goons which wasn't commercially viable until the early 70s because this, the last goon show of all kicked off a whole new wave of people listening to it and they really started releasing it on record but in 1970 the transcription service archive was given a, an overhaul and they got rid of a ton of stuff because they just didn't nobody was asking for it so nobody was buying it so there wasn't mm. any use for it and it was taken up a warehouse so a lot of goon shows got thrown away as, as along with a lot of other stuff um because it, it simply couldn't justify the expense of keeping this air-conditioned warehouse going to keep this stuff which nobody was buying anymore yeah um, and and that's what happened and then when it, when people go oh hang on a minute there is some use in this. Let's go and get it. And it wasn't there. Um, but you. But at the time, somebody somewhere was having to justify keeping it. You know. That, so there's always this. There's always this push pull between the two, and it's always the. You know, the money in the end has to speak, because you can't provide constant entertainment and at the same time keep it all in a warehouse. It's, it just doesn't work. Well, there's that story, and I think. I think you told me that Ted touch, touches on it, or maybe doesn't, mm. in your documentary, um, where he opens up this wall cavity. Oh yeah, well that's a good story. I'll leave Ted to tell that. But yes, there was a, a, a you know, a wall in the studio that was padded out with tape, and on those tapes was Dick Barton and the Goons and a few other bits and pieces. But it was a lot of stuff, and that was just, you know, because they finished with it, you know, and and I just I have no argument with them about this every now and then you think they should have kept some of it something you go oh why didn't they keep that because there's a few bits and pieces you go yeah they like my big one is the noel coward desert island discs it was the 21st anniversary of desert island discs they had noel coward on at christmas and they didn't keep it and you think well this is you know this is one of the biggest stars of the 20th century never did radio really Yep. He comes into a studio and does Desert Island Discs. Big thing. And they ditched it. And the only bit that's left of it was on a transcription service magazine unit disc. So there's eight minutes of it. Um, which, we've, <laughs> yeah. which we've got. You know, I've got that. But Noel Coward. You know, it's just, why didn't they get... That's one of those you think, oh, come on. You know, that... that ah, that's really... That well, really uh, yeah, I had a I had a conversation with a uh, Stephen Cockroft previously on this about just talking about the Beatles and the Goons in general, and he was talking about this television show in in '58 where Spike was a guest. It was like an mm. audience mm -hmm. um, invited to come in through a you know, question, yeah, ask questions of a guest, and one of the people getting up asking a question was Stuart Sutcliffe, uh -huh. right? Late, later to be yes. of the Beatles, and yes. um, he asked Spike two questions and. Mm. We have no nope. copy of it. It's gone. No, nope. no. Nope. Um, I do, however, have the first appearance of Giles Brandreth ever. Um, that was a, <laughs> right. a, a he was he was on um, any okay. questions on the radio yeah. in the late sixties, and it was the Oxford Union they were at, and he was he was head of the Oxford Union at the time, and he's and his first appearance on the radio ever was him asking a question on any questions. Okay. And I came across this on a set of tapes, managed to get him a copy of it. She was very pleased about, but uh, yes, the very first. So we've that's made up for Stuart Sutcliffe, probably. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, 
hasn't made up for the jumpers. No. Um, well, our listeners at home have certainly already heard from our audience. Let's hear from our first questioner. Giles Brandreth. Do members of the panel ever wish themselves back at university? Giles Brandreth, I, I believe, is the current president of this union, and he asked... Oh, and obviously slightly popular. <laughs> and wonders whether any of you wish yourselves back at university. Norman St. John Stevens. What, what's that show? Again, we're just talking about keeping and trashing stuff. Yeah. Keeping or not keeping it. What's that music show? There was a series in the 70s. Um, it was an ITV. It was either Granada, LWT. Mm. I'm not sure. It was a music weekly music show. Wasn't Aisha, was it? Lift off with Aisha. You're Lift off. About? That sounds right. And, yeah. and they they had copies of every episode. Yes. Tapes of every episode. And I think they earmarked a couple to be trashed because what duplicates or, mm. or whatever reason. There was maybe three or four that they mm. that marked out and said, right, get rid of these. Mm. Keep the rest. And the bit of paper, the post-it note, was put on the wrong pile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know how apocryphal that is, but it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like it could have happened. Mm. You know, this stuff happens. Mm. Uh, people don't realise how uh, random a lot of this stuff is. I know yeah. the, um, the the better tape of the moon landings has disappeared because it, really? it, it was beamed to Australia and then to the rest of the world because of where because they were transmitting. Yeah, yeah. The, the first transmitter that could pick it up was in Australia. They made a film about that, didn't they? And the tape yeah. that the Australians made, which was a far better copy because it was a direct transmission, um, went missing. Somebody lost it. Um, with the one that we see of Neil Armstrong uh, getting on the moon is the one that was beamed somewhere else and has it drops in quality because of it. Yeah. So it's a terrible recording. But the, the Australians apparently had that. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, my God. <laughs> apparently. Um, and someone taped a, taped a, a taped over skippy it. bush kangaroo. Yeah, something. It. I don't know what mm. it would have been. Yeah, but a bit uh, one one small step for a kangaroo. <laughs> but the, um, that I've been told that several times from different places. I mean, it's one of those things that sounds like it could be true because because so much stuff happens that isn't planned. Nobody knows. You know, it just doesn't happen. Nothing happens the way anyone plans it. So okay, so Keith, uh, yeah. So thank you for for taking the time to speak to me today. Now, Raiders of the Lost Archive, yep. or Archives, I'm, is it plural? I think it's plural. Okay. So it's on, on the, if you listen to this on the uh, day, it goes out Radio the 13th. Radio 4, 11, 13th, and it's repeated on the 17th. And Excellent. the um, Missing Hancock, the Marriage Bureau, is on the 18th on Great. Radio 4. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I sometimes dream of somebody going up into their granddad's loft and yeah. finding yeah. all these old... Discs of game yes. shows from the <laughs> early fifties. Early fifties, yeah. And then I think, do I really want that? Because I don't think a lot of them were very good. No, the early <laughs> ones weren't very good. Uh, the ones when we did the documentary, we asked everybody what would be your holy grail, and they mm. all said Hancock. They all said missing Hancock's because um, Hancock was funny from the off, yeah, um, yeah. from the very first episode, and also the missing ones with Harry Seacombe. Seacombe, yeah. Yep. Uh, those have been missing since they were broadcast and uh, somebody somewhere probably recorded them off air. But if, you know, those would be an absolute gold mine if they were found, those ones. They would. The, the one that Richard found is good enough, you know, the one with sellers in it. Mm. But those would be fantastic. But everyone said that. See, I wasn't aware of Sellers appearing at all, ever. In no, Park. he did one show because Kenneth Williams was called to do a dress rehearsal for a play in the West End um, and couldn't do the recording. It was last minute. So what's, what is Sellers doing? His sort of William Mate voice or what's he doing? No, he? he's doing a Yorkshire accent near the beginning and he's doing Crystal Jolly Bottom. Oh, okay. That voice. He's <laughs> yeah. doing that voice during the show. <laughs> Because um, it's a marriage bureau, so one of the clients oh, of course. turns right. up, and it would have been, I guess, Williams doing Edith Evans, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this one, you know. And uh, <laughs> that I, I used that voice in um, Thomas and Friends as I was Lady Hat, to, to Topham Hat's mother. Can you do? Can you do me um, the fat controller, please? Do me ah, yes. Well, yes. Um, we <laughs> we have had a very useful interview. 
and uh, <laughs> we must we must make sure it goes out on time and on schedule and uh, don't give it to Percy because he'll muck it up um, <laughs> <laughs> one of my favourites was Ed I used to love doing Gordon because he was basically Waddington Minge um, he was uh, oh, yes 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 yes, yes. yes. Uh, Gordon yes oh the indignity that one <laughs> Yes, I used to love doing that. Sellers does that voice again when he's on Parkinson. Yeah, that that joke, that lovely joke. That lovely uh, joke. Would, would you would you iron the damn thing for me? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. We don't so, so theatricals. Yeah, that one. <laughs> okay, so Keith, listen. Thank you again, and um, let's um, maybe talk again sometime in the future. Hopefully, yes. If what we've said doesn't get us banned, that would be uh, really good. Oh, it'll be edited to win a, within yeah, an inch, inch of, of its, its life. life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll get the razor blade out. Thanks again to Keith. Thanks for listening. All the shows, all 75 plus of them are in the archive. They are available from all the usual podcast outlets. Please go back and check those out. Next week, I will be talking to a very significant cast member from the Ian Hislop, Nick Newman play Spike. As I always say, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get the opportunity to do so, spread the word. Please join uh, the Facebook group. Uh, thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>